What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Deer Vein Podcast. Today, I got Joe Sir on. He's the owner and operator of Risen Media. If you haven't checked out his Instagram, you definitely should. Same with Risen Media. And I know, Joe, you're trying to build that YouTube channel. So yeah. go give him that sub. He's got some awesome. Joe's one of those guys that puts out awesome content like once every three months. <laughs> so it's like worth waiting for really good stuff. And that's like one of the big things with, you know, content creation, I imagine is just like, dude, it's all you're doing all the time. So then like you come home and you're like, I should do this for myself. And you're like, ah, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's tough for sure. But, yeah. But we were just chatting about, uh, we were chatting about Iowa hunting in Iowa. And, um, one of my buddies had a, had a tag down in Iowa and he was there. He, he was there for three days, saw the buck that they were after. It was like 180 to 200 inches had to go home. Cause the people you staying with or something or other got, got COVID and there was, and they were all like, Hey, you got to go home. You got to get out of here. You're not staying here, whatever the heck it was. So, and the worst thing about that whole scenario for him was he ended up getting three days, seeing that buck, never got a chance at him. Um, came back two days, didn't get a chance. And then he left all of his trail cameras out so we could go check them and everything to see if that buck survived and all that stuff. He left five there and all me and my buddies told him, don't go cheap. Don't go cheap. He can't went back. All of them had zero pictures. <laughs> oh no. Cause he went, he went with a cheaper trail camera. Yeah. Saying? He just oh, went yeah? with some like 60 or $70 trail <laughs> oh, cameras or no. something like that. And they all, I was like, man, you know, for him, that's a four hour drive or something like that. I'm like, do you spend the money, buy less cameras and spend the money. So you don't have that scenario. Right. And he's yeah. So he's like, I don't know if the camera's broken or what. So what really pissed him off was he set it up in front of the house that he was staying at and walked by, walked back past it a few times, went back over there and there were pictures on it. (laughs) So yeah. There were, he said there could have been like suspicion of like someone going and clearing the card, you know, sure, sure. But at the same time, like they would have had to have cleared it like the day before he got there, and they would have had to clear like all the cards, found all the cameras across this like 200 acre property that he was able to hunt. I'll tell you what, man, too, it it goes and I have so many, you know, through the, throughout the course of the fall, we're always talking with our, all of our buddies are hunters probably. So, you know, you're talking so much hunting and so much trail camera and what, you know, what's going on in your camera and stuff. And I think people put so much, uh, so much emphasis on just on their, how they hunt and when they hunt and where they hunt based solely off of trail cameras. And I, I don't care if it's an expensive camera, a cell camera, they just tell such a small little part of the story, you know, I mean, the deer that I've, I'm pretty blessed to hunt. uh, Like most of my hunting is on a small chunk, relatively small. We've got uh, 240 acres of a family farm and 240 acres may sound big to people may sound small. It just depends on where you're at, but 240 acres isn't enough to, you know, hold deer forever. I mean, they, they walk off of it every single day, (laughs) you know? Um, but it's, it's enough to really get an idea of, how those specific deer move like I don't get surprised much um, throughout the course of the season so like if I get a deer on trail camera in velvet chances are I'm going to see that deer at some point and during the rut I rarely see a deer 
that it's like, you know, that's a mystery deer. People always talk about that mystery deer that comes. And I don't, I don't usually get that. I usually see the deer that I get all year and at some point I'll catch up to them. Um, But what's crazy to me is it, I mean, for a deer to walk on the other side of a tree or to be shy of a can, you know, you get that picture once and all of a sudden that one buck that you're after is trail camera shy. It's just, it's crazy. Uh, the, the deer that I'll, even when you sit a food plot and, you know, and you're, you're looking at the whole entire food plot and you see a deer cut a corner, you know, two nights in a row and he does it every single night, but he just doesn't happen to be on the corner that your trail camera is on, you know, and people get so caught up with, I don't have any good deer this year, or this deer is definitely not here. You know, they just put so much like that. The end all be all is not what's on your trail camera, you know, and especially a situation like that's like, yeah, I, I guarantee a, a, that many cameras up in Iowa during the rut. Th- there's deer on that property, you know. I mean, they ain't <laughs> right. coming back at zero because there's nothing there. It's just they do. They're a great tool, but they do not tell the whole entire story. That's for sure. No, I I certainly agree with that, and I fell victim. Even though I know that premise, I fell victim to that this year in my own head. Because mm-hmm. so we have a property, and this is our my second year hunting it, and there was one good trail that I, uh, throughout the season real realized was coming out of a bedding area, right in the middle of our property. Um, just a big area full of blow down trees. So they kind of worked their way in there. They bed down for the day and then they worked their way out and there's three trails coming up the hill out of it. And it seems like all these deer use one. And last year I had a, two really nice bucks in the early season in velvet using that trail. And, um, they used it pretty much all year round. And I never got a chance at them. Um, but this year I set out my cameras on those trails and I didn't get any like mature deer on them. I got one decent eight point, but he was kind of at that point that I was like, you know what? I, I, I think he's going to be a lot nicer next year. He's probably three and a half and he's just super wide. I think all of his, all of his like growth went into the width of his wow. rack. You know, he's got short, kind of shorter tines, you know, five inch tines, but he's really wide beyond the ears, each side, a couple inches. And uh, so I was kind of like, like, man, there's just, I, I'm not super interested. I had an elk hunt in September and in Wisconsin season opens up in September. And I was kind of like, ah, I got nothing on trail cam. I'm just going to leave it be, you know, and not do anything. And then I get back from the elk hunt and I go out there and check some of my deeper cameras. And it's like, boom, there's a shooter, boom, there's a shooter, boom, there's a shooter. And I'm just like, crap, (laughs) I guess I should have put a little bit of extra time in. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Just, and just sitting that, but, uh, but yeah, for, for sure. I mean, like you say, trail cameras do not run. I mean, they don't tell everything. One of the, so here's a question for you is, is I just pulled a few of my cameras at the end of season and I have three new bucks that I have never seen before frequenting my property now in the late season. Hmm. What do you make of that? I I guess it, uh, to me, it would maybe be, you know, especially right now they need, they need food. They need cover, you know, they're slaves to their bellies. They've got to survive the harsh winters that we have here in the Midwest. So it could be that it could be, you know, where they pushed out of somewhere from pressure during gun season or, you know, your late seasons, 
Um, they're just, I, to me, the reason that deer move on to our property later is because of that. They pressured off somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and then they stay because we have food, we have cover. Um, you know, so that, that to me, that's, they got to survive. That's the, that's their number one source. And those are the two types of things right now that they need to survive. Yeah, no, and that makes sense. And that's, that's what I figured. I was just like, you know, generally it seems like, it seems like people say that you get like, you know, your group of bucks in the early season that you're seeing and throughout the summer, they may disappear and wander around during the rut and whatnot, but then they kind of come back mm -hmm. in the late season. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, if you have the food, they'll come back. And it's just, uh, I've, I've seen a few of the same deer. And then all of a sudden, like I got a big six pointer that's on my property now. And I'm like, where were you all season? Cause like, that would be a mm -hmm. cool deer. I don't, I'm not even worried about age class on him. He's a really cool six point. <laughs> cool. cool. <laughs> so yeah, he's pretty cool. He's got, it's essentially he's an eight point that is missing his what would that his g3s so okay it's literally like someone took a saw and cut them off on each side because the his tines that come up are not in the middle of his main beams that come out it's just like yeah yeah he's a really unique deer um but uh so obviously he's clearly I can uh, just kind of be like, Oh, that one's new. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And yep. to going back to man, just because who knows you have a camera early, maybe he's there and you have a camera that doesn't go off. I mean, I, every single year yeah. I go and I pull cards and it's like, Jeepers, I forgot to turn this camera on, or I forgot <laughs> to format this card or, you know, something like that. And, and on it, there's been deer, there's been deer that I know have been on our place and I have it pretty well covered with trail cameras. And for one reason or another, I just don't get pictures of them, you know? And then all of a sudden, yeah. boom, there they walk out late season. It's like, where were you the whole year? It doesn't matter. You're dead now. You know, I mean, it, it's yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Oh man. So yeah, that was, just, that was kind of tangent, but I want to, so we kind of talked briefly about Risen. So you own and operate and run Risen. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Is there anyone else that I know the answer to this? Cause we just talked about yeah, it. But right. I want everyone yeah. else to hear it. So, so, I mean, <laughs> you work with John Lockwood then. Yes. Yep. So I work with John. So we started, I had a, a show called Hallow Ground Outdoors. We, we talked a little bit about like Heartland Bow Hunter and stuff. And, yeah. and we started Hallow Ground Outdoors, I think like a year or so after they started their show. So just from a timeline standpoint. So, and we ran that for like five or six years. It was very much a television show that was based on kind of a cinematic storytelling of, of what hunting is about and being more than the kill and the story and, and all that artsy fartsy stuff that we love. Um, <laughs> but so we did, we did that for, um, I can't, I think it was maybe six seasons or so. And yeah, uh, I, remember, throughout, I remember that. Yeah. I remember that show. Yeah. Sure. So throughout the course of that time, what, uh, a lot of what we did to get sponsors was uh, we would say, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll take pictures for you. Or at that time, basically shows were just, you pay us X amount of money and we'll run a commercial. And we just kind of went with the mindset of, Hey, pay us X amount of money. We'll run the commercial, but we'll also make that commercial for you. And uh, so we kind of through those mm -hmm. six years started to, you know, we made these commercials and then obviously companies started to use them. 
And uh, when I ended up, when we backed away from doing the show, we just kind of had this natural production portfolio built. You know, the show won a yeah. couple awards, some commercials. They were so we just had this big portfolio of work that uh, that I shot and produced and stuff like that. So that's just really where Risen uh, Risen started. And yeah, so John's working with me right now. I think John started intern interning for me um, a few summers ago, and then that just turned into a a full-time job and he's a great kid he's a really talented kid um as we were talking about kind of just the creative process he he understands kind of kind of what's in my head and uh or at least puts up with what's in my head and then he's got you know he just looks at things also a little bit differently so he's able to uh, put his spin on a lot of stuff and uh just a really talented kid fun to work with so it's just us us right now and we will collaborate with some other content creators um, from time to time and in specific projects as needed but um, that's that's pretty much that's pretty much risen and we do every, everything uh, everything from stills to video for everything from social media stuff to television commercials and and so on so do you mainly stick with or are most of your clients like mainly outdoors clients or do you they do are stuff yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, 95%, uh, 95% outdoor related. It's just what, like I said, what our portfolio is built in. Yeah. Um, I, you know, personally, we talked about it a little bit on my Instagram, the, you know, my kids playing basketball and stuff like that. That's actually, I mean, I always hunted, um, but, but athletics was a huge part of my life until I graduated from college and, and stopped playing. So I have like this deep rooted passion in, in athletics and especially basketball. So I kind of like, I have this little bit of burning desire now that they're starting to get into it. It's kind of rekindle these competitive flames. Yeah. And like, I, I kind of, I want to start doing a little, you know, branching off a little bit into the athletic space uh, to a certain sure. extent, but, but yeah, our, our meat and potatoes is, is the outdoor industry for sure. Yeah. So you, so you're telling me you're going to like join ball as life or something. Yeah, exactly. Man. If I could just tell, if I could just do a, my kids are going to have the greatest ball is life. Yeah. Ball is life documentary in about seven years when they're seniors, man. I think, I think yeah. I'll be able to market them right into a scholarship. It might be, it might be all smoke and mirrors, but man, if, if, if Rona, if Rona, if something like COVID comes around, dude, you got to think about all those athletes that like oh, this man. year were you know, coming out of high school, dude, the only way these coaches are seeing them are through marketing of their own footage and all that. Other right. than that, you know, right. like that is really lending itself to parents and people who have the foresight to make those videos. Cause if you're right. just, you know, cause I never, so, so I played, I played college soccer okay. and I had a couple coaches, like we did the showcase tournaments where you go and it doesn't matter who wins. You just play three games and, you know, really the coaches show up to see, you know, teams with really good records, right. Or they're scouting an individual person or something like that. But I never really had the foresight to, to get all these, get videos done and whatnot. And I know kids who did that. And then they got D one offers be, essentially because of it, they put together right. some good highlight reels and some good showcases of what they can do. And the coach was like, yeah, why don't you come on up? You yeah, know, yeah. we'll try out and you're good to go. Did you yeah. play ball in college then? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah, at? I did. Uh, Northwestern College. It was when I was there, it was an NAIA D2 school. It was up in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and now they're in okay. D3 school. And yes, yeah, so I had a good, good college uh, career playing basketball and, and stuff and loved it. That was, a, yeah, that was a huge part of life before, 
before this phase. So yeah. I actually didn't, I actually, I didn't pick up a camera. Um, a lot of people ask that a lot, you know, like if I went to school for it or whatever, um, I did literally did not pick up a camera until after college. Like, I mean, I didn't even think around with taking pictures or anything. It was never even on my radar. I think uh, yeah. I was actually, I was homeschooled. Um, and I mean, I, I drew and stuff like that just doodled, but outside of that, there was nothing artistic that I did. Um, Dude, I'm, yeah. I'm, I would say I'm, I'm one, sorry to cut you off. I am hundred percent the same way. Like you ask me to color inside the lines and I have a hard time right now, uh-huh. but ask me to take a badass photo with some sun flare. Like, yeah, I can take a hundred and I'll pull one out of there that I really like. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. It's a different, I've, I feel like photography and videography is a different, it's almost more like a, a badass art form, if you want to call it that, or something that it's like cool and it's awe-inspiring and it's, it means something to people who watch it and see it. And people might get that out of a painting or something. If someone else, that's what someone else likes. I, I don't get that out of a painting, but I gotcha. get that out of you know, I was before the before the podcast started, I was watching some of your B-roll stuff and some of your videos on your on your website and whatnot. And I'm like, this is just cool. It's just cool stuff. You know, gotcha. I, I find motivation and whatnot in those videos. Good, good. Yeah. So then so then essentially when you picked up the camera, uh, you know, you're just like, all right, let's let's learn how to use this thing. Yeah. I, I mean, it was literally <laughs> me and a buddy I mean obviously everyone would love to at, at that point it was like and ignorance was kind of bliss oh it'd be great to make a living like hunting you know we thought <laughs> people actually get paid just to go out and hunt um yeah. but, and it was so it was literally like stealing my parents handy cam that they that they used to film like all of my high school basketball stuff you know taking it and going out in the woods and uh but at that time it was interesting I think, you know, right around that Heartland Bowhunter time, there was like a little bit of a change in the industry. Pre that time, it was very much, I think hunting was a lot less uh, story driven. It was just kill driven. You know, you had a lot of the uh, the cheesy guy shoots a deer and the camera randomly is behind the deer and they're sneaking through the woods like, oh, there it is, you know? And yeah, I mean, just like, <laughs> it's just really fake and not authentic in my, in my mind. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where, when I started, when I graduated college and started watching hunting shows more, um, I was like, this isn't what hunting is to me at all. You know, hunting is about the year long process and the management and the story. And it's not, it's not all about the kill or the end result. It's more about that journey. And I think that I feel as if that's where every hunter is, you know, every hunter starts for a certain reason. They experience those highs and lows. And, you know, we talked about, you know, that your first year hunting and, and, you know, killing your first buck, just that natural progression of a hunter. Um, it's a, it's a story and it's a, it's, you know, it's not just about people want to see the kill. You can't have a, a show with no kills and just a bunch of neat stories about the one that one that got away and be successful. You know, that ain't going to fly, but people need to see the kills, but anyway, but that's kind of, that was not really the way that that was not commonplace in TV when I started. And that's kind of the premise that we based our show on. And that's the same time Heartland was doing theirs. And I think it kind of, you know, was this new wave of, of content in the outdoor industry that was story driven and shot into, you know, more of a cinematic uh, look and feel. Um, So that's kind of the time period that we really started. Yeah, no. And I, I'm, I'm, 
I'm thankful for that change. And that's what, and we're, again, something we just touched on. That's what brought me to where I am today within kind of like deer vein and what I'm trying to build and what I'm trying to do is just that change in, uh, it was just like a kill reel, right? Hey, I got Mm -hmm. 13 episodes. They're 20 minutes, 22 minutes long. Um, and I kill in the first eight minutes because I went to this outfitter and I didn't do anything. I sat down and I, I shot this buck that they had patterned for me and, and here's the buck, you know? And that's like all, all it was. And then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're seeing, you're seeing the behind the scenes though. What did, what did it take to get there? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I can't just, I, I don't have the money nor the time to go around to all these guides and kill deer. And to me, that's not, that's not as fulfilling as building a property yourself or scouting a property yourself, learning it yourself, strategizing yourself and then being successful. It's not, you know, I haven't, I haven't done any guided hunts. Actually I, I have, well, I shouldn't say hunts. I have done guided like bow fishing trips. Mm-hmm. And even when my buddies, which is like, I, I used to bow fit, I used to be a bow fishing guide um, okay. around the Madison, Wisconsin area. And I had a couple other guides that were out there that were buddies and I'd go with them. And it was never as like, it was fun because I didn't have to do any of the work, <laughs> you know, with right. the boat and trailering and making sure it all runs and working and cleaning the boat in the morning and all that stuff. Yeah. But it wasn't as fulfilling. Cause it's like, you go out there and you just start, you start shooting and, and you get a lot of fish, but you're like, I didn't, but I didn't put any pre-effort into this. You know, sure. it's kind of like empty fulfillment, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, seeing that backstory and seeing, seeing how everything's done and then it also gives you ideas on how to do things your own, your own way. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, on your own property. Yep. So yep. with your, with your rolling that into like your 240, has that always been like a, a hunted property that's well-managed or is that something that you guys really started recently or? Yeah. So, um, it, no, it was not managed well. You know, I, it's actually interesting. If you look back at the, at white-tailed deer in Iowa. Like when I remember my grandpa telling me stories about even when my dad, like in the sixties, there weren't deer around. Like I remember hit like, like a specific story about it. I believe it was in the sixties. Um, when they heard about a deer in another County and they drove to see the deer. Like, so, so my grandpa grew up, my grandpa grew up and my, or my dad, um, grew up where deer weren't prevalent. And then as they started to get more and more prevalent, people started to hunt them, but it was more of a, uh, it was more for food and, um, and a trophy was just kind of a target of opportunity, you know? And so it kind of, I think people's mentality that no one was, no one was trophy minded. I don't, I don't believe back in, back in that period of time, you know? So I grew up actually, um, shotgun hunting with like party hunting and it was, I would say the exact opposite of good management practices. I mean, it was, and this was, you know, by the time that, by the time I started hunting, there were a lot of deer around, you know, they're very prevalent, but, but the idea was, um, it was, you know, opening day, the first weekend, you don't shoot anything but a buck, you know, and it don't, it doesn't matter what buck it just as it just has to have horns. So at the end of a, you know, at the end of our first season shotgun, you'd have 
12 guys lined up all holding little basket rack deer. And we just annihilated, you know, the future of what could, could have been on that property. Um, And, and it didn't matter, you know, as long as you went to church on Sunday and was like, I shot a 10 pointer, you know, people were like, well, I guess that's bigger than my eight pointer, you know? And, but I mean, nothing about age structure, any, that was age structure. Those types of terms weren't even on my radar until, you know, until a little bit later in, in life. So yeah. I would say actually that the, that the 240 that I hunted was, um, it was actually an uphill battle because, because, because of shotgun hunting pressure, pressure, just those practices, we were just decimating, right. you know, Tradition, the age structure. Man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and then eventually, you know, we kind of stopped um, for, for different reasons, stopped shotgun hunting and then more of the management, more food plots, that was kind of a slow progression and, and learning curve into trying to get that age structure, you know, beyond a two and a half year old deer, uh, basically. Yeah. So, so it, I mean, it, it's been a, it, it was actually a very long process. Um, and, you know, 240, like I mentioned, you can't hold the deer um, and everyone has different management practices. So, you know, when you're butted up against a neighbor who maybe doesn't hold those same standards as you do um you know that you're you're fighting against that you're kind of only as good as i'm not harping on my neighbors or anything but you know you just have to take that situation into account and man i hear so many people too and and you can go back and post that i've made and stuff and people will like rip on you for shooting a certain deer or you know oh if if i'd shoot that deer all day because i live in michigan or you know you're you know that it's just deer are not it's not apples to apples from one state to another one county to another one property to another you know you you were talking about your buddy who was down in a uh who was in a different part of iowa man i know for a fact that the deer that they see there are a completely different caliber as the deer that we have right here and i know if i drive 25 miles east the 130s that we have that you that you'll see on a sit they're 145s over there and 150s over there. So like even Iowa, man, you drive 15 minutes to the west of us and you're hunting, I mean, a, even a lesser class of deer. So like it is not apples to apples. And it makes me so frustrated when hunters compare themselves to other hunters based on the trophies that they have on their wall or what they've shot. Because maybe someday... I'll sh- I, I've been blessed because of a lot of living in Iowa. We have, uh, we have nutrition. So we have nutrition, we have genetics. We just need age structure, um, to get, you know, to get a really, we have everything that takes to grow big white tailed deer. That's why everyone wants to come to Iowa and hunt, <clears throat> but, uh, it's, it's, it's not apples to apples and a person will never shoot a 200 inch deer. If a 200 inch deer is never on their property you know it's it's not a te- there's there can be a guy in alabama there can be a guy in michigan whose biggest deer is 125 inches who could out hunt the snot out of me you know i mean it's right. not your your how good you are as a hunter is not what's hanging behind you on the wall that's just uh i mean it has something to do with it you know but um it's that's kind of location and and what you can make out of it Yeah, I, I certainly agree with that in the sense of, you know, I was talking to one guy, um, Southern ground hunting and he was, he was like, dude, I feel like in Wisconsin, you just have 
one fifties in every, in every field. Mm. And I'm like, I, I wish that were the case, you know, cause where I'm at, it's not the case. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. But he's like, you know, we, sh I shot a giant and it was, I forget what it was, but it, he was like one thirty, you know, and, and a giant for me is 170 180 like that is a reality in his neck of the woods that's really not a reality yep. and it's and and i think i certainly agree that people need to to back off on that subject of of you know and i've even had it i've even had it a couple times where i've filmed deer and people are like why the hell did you not shoot that and i'm like right. because i know that a like he's living on my property He's going to stay on my property. I've got them all over the place. My neighbors also practice QDM there. I have also said, we are not going to shoot this deer. So why am I going to smash him when I know there's four other bucks on this, using this property that are older and bigger than him? Yep. You know, it, yep. it you know, it's, it's different. Like exactly like you say. Yeah. One yep. of the, so one of the things that, that kind of got into my head was, why do you think that in 20 years ago, people looked at deer as like a food source and now they're not now hunters, like we do look at it as a food source, but a lot of us look at it as almost like a secondary, you know what right. I mean? Like back in the day, every, nobody was like, yeah, it's a 10, a, it's a 10 point or it's a six point or it's an eight point. And, and, uh, or I, you know, I got two deer for the freezer. And now it's kind of like I shot a 180 or I shot a 165. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily the points or how much meat you got off of it or anything like that. It's about that age structure. It's an, it's an interesting progression in hunters. Yep. Yep. I think that I guess a couple things that come into my mind, first of all, like I look back, I mean, we have, I think there's a couple different reasons that that pop into my mind. One would be, like I look back at my grandpa and I'm like, these are people who went through the great depression. Their mindset was completely different than ours is, you know, of, of what, yeah. just what they need. And, and so I think that that is just a different way of life for them growing yeah. up and, and, and what they have. So that'd be one thing. I think another thing is just what's at our fingertips and in front of our eyeballs with, social media and, you know, all the information that's out there and, mm -hmm. you know, quality deer management take take 10 years 15 years back and you're it's stuff that's written about in outdoor life and different magazines and what you might be so I think just for that knowledge to be out there and people to be discussing it you know it probably wasn't as readily available um so I think that you know that would probably be another big thing yeah. in my mind and then one thing that I always, that I kind of come back to is I think that it's pretty easy for us to, you know, look at the people that you follow on Instagram or on social media. And if you're following people who have the same, I think we kind of think that, oh, the, the people who are managing for big deer and, and bow hunters, or, you know, we are like this, this massive number. And I, I go, I go to my in-laws in Minnesota and they're still shooting deer for the freezer. And I talk to other, you know, I, I talk to all these people and, and I think sometimes it's maybe we think that, uh, that our approach to hunting is the most common one when, you know, and maybe it isn't. And I, and the reason I kind of bring this up, I had this 
I think it was maybe like a year or so ago, I was talking to a, a client of ours who makes tree stands and, and uh, I just wanted to see some very specific things in a tree stand. And I was, and I, in my head, I was like, why wouldn't everyone want to see these features? And he said, he, he told me that 5% of their business was hang on tree stands. Everything else was ladder stands. And my head, to me, I was like, my head, it was like a mind explosion <laughs> because I didn't know anyone. My like, brain I don't want to hunt out of a ladder. I don't want to hunt out of a ladder yeah. stand. There you know, are. I was like, I do not, I can't imagine hunting out of a ladder stand and only being 12 feet off the ground at the base. Like I, you know, everything. Right. And, the consumer capabilities and the placement capabilities are just so minimal. Right, exactly. I'm, and I'm like, and that just, that just blew my mind. And then I got to thinking, I was like, well, you know, yeah, I started thinking of the people who still hunt a certain way. And, and I was like, you know what, I'm probably not in the majority here of what, you know, most guys aren't necessarily after that one deer that they're consumed with, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think it's really easy, or even you look at the public land saddle hunting, like that movement that's kind of growing right now. Yeah. And, and I think I, I tend to think like everyone's hunting out of a saddle, everyone's. And in reality, I know like no one outside of a couple people on social media who hunt out of a saddle, you know, it's, it's right. not really like if, but then if we join a Facebook group, that's like saddle hunters USA or whatever, and everyone hunts out of a saddle, we get it in our head. Like Dude, this that is, is such a big yeah. thing. I don't know. That's just that when he, when that, when that marketing guy told me that I was, I kind of had to like sit back for a second and be like, okay, wait a minute. Maybe, maybe you just are, are hanging around a, a, a small group of people, but just like all caught up in it versus looking at the whole picture um, Dude, of the know, hunting community. I certainly, you know, one of the things that, that, that really, that really hits home for me, honestly, what you just said, because like social media, it, it Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all that stuff it feeds you what you want to see and what's going to keep you on there longer, right? That is, that is its sole purpose. So it, it, it divides us on a lot of different ways. And on the biggest scale right now that everybody that's relevant for ev pretty much everybody, it divides us politically. Like if you're, if you like things more democratic or more liberal, it feeds you that information. If you like things more Republican or more conservative, it feeds you that information. And even on a granular, more granular scale as a hunter, if you're a QDM guy, or if you're a saddle hunting guy, it feeds you saddle hunting information. If you're just a, a, a private land guy and you want to learn about food plots, it's going to feed you food plot information. So then in your mind, that repetitive nature of seeing that over and over and over again, shows you everyone does food plots. Everyone has these massive clover plots. I'm the only one who doesn't. Dad, we need to go buy these tractors and get these machines because it's the only way to kill a big deer. Right. You know, it just, right. yeah, that's, that makes so much sense. Um, and I've, I've been thinking about that, that political side of things a lot because um, like my life, I have a lot of friends that are liberal and I have a lot of friends that are Republican and um and when I like, when like I, I hear it from both sides and they clash back and forth and it's, and it's really based on their social media feeds and what they're, what they're seeing every day versus what they're not seeing. And it, it's really interesting that that even comes down to a hunting level. 
even within our own small hunting industry, 5% is hang-ons. God, I, I have a ladder stand and that thing is just the biggest pain. I would take my sticks and my hang-on every single time over that. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was in. And, and you think about it too. Um, you know, Iowa really blessed. One of the reasons that deer hunting is great in Iowa is, you know, we don't have gun seasons during the rut. We don't have, you know, so like you yeah. look at some of these States who are trying to change like a gun season out of a rut for a group of people are, or trying to make like a four point antler restriction and the, and the, the head budding that's there by, by people who are like, no, we want it. We want to be able to shoot four pointers, you know, and to, and to us who are like, qdm kind of minded like okay who in the world wouldn't mind a four point and and you get whole entire states who are just you know they bucket all the or moving a moving a hunting season out of a gun season out of the rut for the greater good of bigger deer and it doesn't get passed you know so it just kind of really goes to show that i think probably the people who are chasing that one buck are in the minority number wise you know i don't know about where money goes and stuff like that it's probably different a different uh no you know a different matter but yeah and in wisconsin what was it not 2020 season but 2019 gun season um i i a lot of people in wisconsin knew this but i I don't think it made it too far outside of the state um but 2019 gun season was the latest gun season I've ever had. Um, it started, it's always the Saturday before Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving in 2019 was pretty late. Um, and gun season rolled to like December 2nd. So it was, I think it was like November 23rd to December 2nd or something like that. And it was 60 degrees and foggy on opening morning, pretty much across the state and a ton of corn was still up. It was a really wet fall. Yeah. Based on that, people didn't, people didn't see a lot of deer, deer gun harvest on opening day was down like 30% that year. Four months later, they tried to introduce changes to the gun season to make it instead of nine days, we're going to start it a week earlier and run it for 16 days and push it into mid November. You know, mm. it's always going to start like November 15th and run to just November 30th mm. hand hands down voted down like 80%. No, we're not doing that. And it was really interesting to just see like the political powers that be, I was just like some politician got together with his buddies was like this shit sucks this year we need i don't bow hunt and we need to move this gun season forward so that i can kill a deer you know and then they got it pushed into the freaking wisconsin dnr and then they even pushed it out to people and they labeled it as wisconsin's premier season would you know extend licenses extended uh hunting give people more opportunity and and they labeled all these things within this like quote unquote unbiased survey for why they wanted to do this it was still just like yeah no f you is we're not we're not having that (laughs) interesting and yeah yeah, and and there's so much too like involved in that 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 i just don't are is above my 
that I just don't know what goes into it, the politics of it. The, obviously, it's the it's the Department of Conservation. It's their um, responsibility to to understand what deer numbers are and to keep the herd in check. You know, so we aren't overpopulated. And and I understand how a poor hunting season can drastically increase. You know, the population maybe above what's sustainable. Um, I know around us, it's a lot driven by insurance companies and car collisions and, you know, things like that. Yeah. So there's just so much, man, my brain is like, I just want that one buck to survive next year. You know, <laughs> like it's so single focused on like one deer and how do I kill that one deer? And there's, right. there's, you know, there's so much that goes into, into it. And I'm, I guess I'm glad that I just have to worry about killing that one deer and not making a hundred thousand hunters happy and, and with all that stuff but right yeah and not to bring up a, a a sore subject but you ended up shooting a really nice buck but it was one that everyone agreed to pass this yeah year. yeah so that yeah, yeah. i mean for anyone goes, watching this joe's eyes just got yeah. real big <laughs> well here's the thing with that and that's a you know um that goes perfectly with what we're talking about because another thing that hunters do is we've, we've already discussed, or I guess my feelings are, you can't, what's hanging on your wall isn't, doesn't mean you're a better hunter because someone else has something smaller on their wall. That's not the measure of, of your hunting ability. Um, and same thing, like I can't come down on a guy who wants to kill a four pointer wants to put meat in his freezer, or I would challenge every hunter, um, to think through why they hunt. And if it is, you know, it, to, to dig, a, peel back the layers of that onion a little bit. So if you are a beet hunter, does that mean that, you know, should you shoot a three-year-old buck or, you know, what's best for the herd? But I'm not going to come down on a dude or I shouldn't come down on a guy who is a gun hunter, who hunts one weekend a year, who just wants to go out and have a good time with his friends or his family and shoot what makes him happy. Like one of the yeah. great things about hunting is whether it's uh, a mature deer that you have your sights on that you pass year after year and find his sheds and do all those things that get us fired up. Or if you just want to go out and smack the first deer that has antlers that runs by, like the great thing about hunting is it's your right to do whatever you is, want. is yeah. legal that you want to. Um, so like that specific deer, uh, you know, I had voiced that it was, I, I think the way that I said it was, it was bittersweet because it was sweet because it was an awesome deer. I mean, a, yeah, he, was a, he was a great buck. I self-filmed it, which is like, I specifically wanted to self-film a hunt this year and do a good job at it. Mm -hmm. So like I, I worked extra hard to try to get that footage. So to kill a really nice mature buck on camera, you know, it, like I was, I was pumped about it, but from a management standpoint on this specific farm, it was a deer that we had kind of collectively as the group decided to pass. If it would have been on another farm, I would have, I would have been thrilled. I mean, I, I and yeah. I was happy, but, but it's to, like I said, one property to another one, it's, it's not apples to apples. And, and so that's where it was. That was the bitter part of the bittersweet yeah. is that, oh man, we had kind of, and, and to a certain extent, let those guys down who also put in time and, you know, pass deer this year and stuff like that. So, uh, and, and yeah, people like got just like up in arms, like I would have shot in that deer or you're, you know, and, and, uh, I like, you're, you're shaming people. And, uh, and I was like, well, I was like, 
you're, you're shaming me. Like I, I'm, I'm just laying it out the way that I, you know, the way that I see it. And I'm not going to come down on you for shooting a four pointer or come down on you for that. It's like, I'm just trying to be honest and tell you the way that it is. And I was happy about the deer. Right. It was a great year, but um, not, you know, not, it was just a deer that we had kind of said, Hey, if there's any deer we should pass this year, it should be this one. And I, shot, <laughs> I was the one who shot it uh, in my defense though. Um, I didn't. And, and that's one thing too, that when you run trail camera pictures back to kind of that, and you get to look at a deer a thousand different times from a hundred different angles, you know, I, I hadn't been able to, I, you know, through a, a thread of text messages had seen this deer like twice, you know, on a little, on a little picture on sure. my phone. So, and so I honest, it was just an honest mistake. I didn't think it, it had the characteristics of the deer that we were trying to pass. Um, but anyway, it's, he's yeah. a great, he's a great deer. So yeah, yeah. Right. But, and if, you, if any of you guys listening want to see this, just go to Joe's Instagram account. It's joe.sir and yeah. just scroll down and you'll see a really nice buck. And then it'll say, this is a bittersweet kill. <laughs> yeah. And then you'll, then you'll read all the guys from Michigan who are frustrated yeah. about it because they would have shot it every day. Every day. <laughs> so out of curiosity, what was the reason, what was the reason for passing? Was he just young? Uh, yeah. So the, the area, the area is really good. Um, and we have, and it's a larger chunk of property. So an, an opportunity to kind of hold those less likelihood of a, a deer getting off that property and getting shot. Um, he was a four-year-old deer. So a mature deer on, on the main property I hunt, like a four-year-old is he's, he's going to be on the hit list, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, uh, but, but we just thought like, genetically just the, that one more year and he could have been one of those deer that could have gone from a really good deer to a, a great deer yeah so, yeah 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 for and just to cover your ass relatively speaking a good deer to a great deer because he is like i mean i would have i would have looked at him and been like dude that deer's dead <laughs> well 100 percent, yeah 100 percent, and it and it is it's relative to to where you live and that specific yeah. farm absolutely yeah, right. yeah. exactly yep. and another thing to think about too is a four-year-old deer like that compared to let's say a deer of that same age structure that's an eight-pointer that genetically isn't gonna ever be a great deer from a management standpoint the way that we had talked, you know, that eight pointer would have been a better deer to shoot that year. So that deer may have been on the hit list. So, um, it's not, it's yeah. I mean, you just, it's, it's everywhere persons it's every, you know, every person it's not apples to apples. No, it's yeah. It's whatever makes I mean, it really is whatever, like whatever you're out there for. Yeah. Get after it. Yeah. hundred you know? percent. And there's, 100%. yeah. Cause there's guys, you know, that are out there and they haven't killed a buck in five years, but they've passed, you know, some, some bucks that other people would kill all day. Yeah. You know, some one yep. thirties and one forties. And they're like, man, I'm just, I'm after this other one. And, and to them, that's okay. You know, and there's other guys out there that are shooting the first thing with antlers because that's what they're after. And that's cool too. Yep. Like it's all, 100%. it's all good, man. Yeah. Like you can't be mad at someone for doing what what they love and it's so annoying to see those people on social like i've uh social media has so many pros and cons so many <laughs> cons to it it's just like come on man you never say that shit in real life like ever right. you know <laughs> right. Oh, it's awful all right right yeah um yeah 
but uh so anyway um to the to to kind of a matter at hand it's early february right now what are you rolling i mean i watched your instagram story today but what are you rolling on like postseason what are some things that you're doing or tell me about your postseason what you're after right now yeah so it's pretty much just making sure doing everything that i can to make sure that deer have the nutrition that they need to be healthy going into the spring um so we do a lot of food plots um but honest deer i was just i was talking to my dad the other day and i was like man these dumb deer like they don't they don't understand that they needed to ration you know like back in (laughs) back in early december so they were just out pigging out all night on the beans and now all of a sudden we got you know six more inches of snow today and there's no beans left and now they're just eating eating twigs and stuff so uh, you know but uh so i do um a lot of people plant their food plots to kill deer. And to me, it's like, I do that, but, but also I invest after postseason in, you know, putting out corn and stuff like that. So I run a handful of feeders around the farm and it sucks to go to the co-op and fill up a buggy of, of, you know, of, of corn and, and drive it out. But it, it makes a difference and it for the whole health of the deer. So I, I mix some corn with, uh, I work with big time, um, which, which has some supplements and attractants. So I kind of make my own mix of that. And, um, so it's just kind of trying to give the deer what they need from the nutritional standpoint. And then eventually, uh, that'll go into shed hunting and back into the circle of food plots. And do you kind of have like all your, do you have, I mean, do you plant the same? I'm not, I've never done actually this year was my first attempt at a food plot. Mm-hmm. Terrible, which is what I expected, but it was, I mean, I planted it <laughs> and then it didn't rain for like two weeks and it was late and I didn't expect it to be good. Um, but, uh, but do you, um, do you plant the same food in the same spots every year? Yeah. Um, I, th- rotate a little bit from a soil standpoint for nutrition for the soil. You know, you have to keep things, uh, you have to kind of, kind of rotate things and make sure that you're putting back in what you're taking out nutritionally. Um, but as far as food sources on our place, it's, it's generally, um, a pretty consistent mix of corn beans. And then I do a lot of, uh, a lot of turnips and brassicas as well. So you know, and a lot of that just has to do with, with where you're at. I mean, you go across the road and there's 400 acres of corn and you, you know, and there's clover everywhere. So right. it's kind of just what, what fits into, uh, uh, what's around your location and what draws them in during certain times of year. So it makes it huntable, um, is what goes into the decision-making there on our place. Yeah. And that is, that is something that I'm working through right now. I mean, you say it, you say it kind of nonchalant of, well, it's time of year and what makes it huntable. And, and those two things are like these massive rabbit holes for me. Mm. right now. Sure. Cause sure. like, Oh, I'm trying to figure out where I want to put food plots um, on our property. But I also like, I need to understand like how the deer currently use it, where I can have good entry and exits, where I can set up good stands what the deer are actually gonna utilize during daylight hours and not only at night. And then also what what I want to plant based on the time of year, I think the deer will hit that area. 
So there's like, there's so many thoughts that go right. into that on how I'm yeah. trying to, how I'm trying to plan that. And it's, and it's super, um, like specific to me. Yep. Um, and so I, I think I have an idea of what I'm going to try, but in general, like one of my thoughts was like, I was like, okay, I'm going to plant food plots in these like three areas on the property. And then I started thinking about that. I was like, man, that is a lot of work. I think I'm just going to do one this year and hope that that one is the right, <laughs> is the yep. right route. And maybe I'll add one next year, maybe and add one the following year. And eventually I'll get those three done. Yep. yep. Um, yeah, but uh, but for the for the brassicas that you said, are you is that mainly like just for a late season hunt? Because you got a pretty no. nice buck late season, didn't you? Uh, yeah, yep. And and my late season buck was um that was in one of the corn food plots. I mean, okay. kind of corn grain is king when it get, when it starts to get cold. So my my turnips and brassicas, a lot of that is you know as the as soon as it frosts here, those start to get really good and. I mean, we frost pretty early. So literally October 1st, I do, I do a lot of hunting over my, my turnip food plots. So gotcha. yeah. Yep. But, but they also, you know, they can, we've, we've started to do a lot more interseeding, like going over our beans once right before the leaves of the beans drop, we'll go in and seed in um, turnips in there. So it'll get some greens underneath it for late season as well. So oh, gotcha. a lot, man, that's, like the stuff that you're talking about is, I just love it. I mean, that's, that's the chess match and that's, uh, you know, it's trial and error and it, it's a process and it's kind of step-by-step figure out what works, figure out what makes you successful. I, it used to be where I was like, oh, we could put a food plot there. We could put a food plot here and there and every little inside corner, these little honey holes and killing spots. And, and it turned into almost it had the opposite effect where we made it unhuntable because you'd sit here and he'd go there and you'd sit here and he'd be there. And, you know, to the point where like you have to be really kind of make your game plan to the best of your, of your knowledge at the time with how deer move, like you're saying, and how they use it and um, predominant winds at certain times and clean in and out. And that's always been my thing. It's like, I don't, and I feel the last, the last five, six years as I've been the most effective, um, it's been a lot of times those bucks don't know they're ever being hunted until they hear that Matt and they, you know, have an arrow going through them, and, and, you know, just the low yeah. pressure and, and hugging uh, little food sources close to bedding. So it'll, you know, it'll make a buck at 30 minutes before, uh, before it gets dark, just decide he wants to feel safe and he wants to get out and munch a little bit you know, and yeah. that's, that's, that's the mistake. That's the last mistake he gets to make. <laughs> right. Oh man. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened with my like half-assed food plots this year was, <laughs> uh, was the, the one that I really liked that I got a bunch of pictures on had, had decent bucks on and in, in daylight, like kill like bucks that I would have killed, like likely would have killed, I guess. Um, we're on, like I sat the spot twice and the wind was just awful. Even on like, they were coming out of a bottom. And if there was any sort of wind, it was swirling really bad in there. And I couldn't get a consistent wind. I wanted to hunt it on a North wind. And when I was sitting in there in a North wind, it was, sometimes it was South. Sometimes it was East. Sometimes it was West. It was just, it was awful. So I waited till it was dead calm 
and then I got in there and um and the problem was as I was waiting for it I was waiting there um or I was thinking about it the night before I was like all right it's dead calm tomorrow morning the deer are coming from up above me on the ridge top and they're working their way down through this food plot and they're going to bed down in the bottom well if I'm in there and it's dead calm and the sun rises all my thermals are going uphill at that point right to them so that's not going to work all right well i'll hunt it in the evening when it's dead calm oh well in the evening all my thermals are going to be rolling downhill right into the bedding where they're going to be coming out of so i was like man i just set this food plot up for a snack <laughs> for them and i'm just never going to be able to kill them yeah right there's, right there's no way i can get in on this um so as that was a, and that was a really good lesson of man, I need to be more strategic about this. So that, yeah, the one food pot I'm trying this year is on the top of a ridge. So it is, it'll, it has consistent winds and it's very good entry and exit. And, um, it'll be this year we have it in corn, but next year we're rolling it into a CRP program. And so it'll be on the edge of the CRP. So essentially they'll be coming out right on the edge of that and they can dip into the CRP and they could even be bedded in that CRP. Yeah, you know, and I can yeah. work right around them with a northwest wind, which in our areas is a solid cold front wind, and and it all be good. Yeah, yeah, um, awesome. So yeah, that's that that's my attempt. Um, anything else you want to cover with the postseason? Any any tips you want to give anybody on postseason? Man, um, I think that you know, I, I as far as tips, like if you, um you know, a lot of guy, I think just use it as an, especially shed hunting and stuff just to get boots on the ground and better learn your property. There's no better time to kind of see what, um, you know, see what the woods look like and kind of how, you know, how deer travel and stuff like that than there is during this time, you know? Um, mm -hmm. so I'd say, you know, from, a, from boots on the ground, educating yourself to bedding areas and transition areas and stuff like that. If you don't know your property really well, this would be the, not, not right now, but as you know, March, when things start to melt or, or whatever, that'd be the time to do it, you know, kill two birds with one stone and pick up some sheds and, and look around a little bit and learn your property, keep it into consideration that your, you know, the deer density and herd may have changed um, and patterns change in the late season sure. versus early season and stuff, but it's a good, good opportunity to really see where there's, where there's scrapes and uh, or rubs on trees and stuff like that, you know, that, yeah. historically like deer one thing that's interesting this is crazy man the the deer that i killed early i have killed the i want to make sure that i don't because this this sounds insane so i want to make sure that i'm not <laughs> that it's actually accurate but i think i have killed the last four years out of this stand i've killed four years in a row um, I think out of six, seven sits from this stand. So, <laughs> so like, I mean, I, I like, I feel like I have this spot just dialed to when you can go, I stay out of it until a certain time until a certain, you know, scenario. And that's when I get in and it have just been fortunate to take care of business when I sit it on like my hit list buck every year. But what, what's interesting is the deer, the, the, biggest buck on the farm loves that place 
And it's because of how security feels, the way that it lays, his exit, his entrance, the wind, you know, things like that. So, you know, when you find those bedding areas or those rubs, things like that, historic, that where the, the deer that made those rubs may be dead, but there's a reason that they gravitate towards that area. So you can learn a lot historically, um, you know, based off of those types of things that might put you in the money next November 7th, you know, or, or whatever yeah. on a completely different deer, but there's a reason that that deer are in that area. Um, so that, you know, sometimes just little things like that are the difference between being successful next year and, and piecing together why your property or the places you hunt, um, uh, hunt a certain way. And especially if you're a public land guy or something like that, you know, looking for new properties, this, you know, this off season, now's a great time to get out and kind of pound the ground and look for those, that sign and try to put the, put the pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah, no, I, I certainly highly suggest that for, and that is how, that's how I've been. I mean, that, that one, two years in a row, I would spend almost every Saturday, like five, six hours walking pieces of public, Mm. um, in from in March and April, like every weekend I just go. And then also those two years, I probably put in like 50 to 70 sits a year on those pieces of public and throughout the entire time of the year and everything. And I had good opportunities both years, botched them both years, just like a standard, standard doorknob. Um, just didn't, didn't have a good one of them. I hit a branch and the other one, um, one of them, I hit a branch and I ended up hitting him in the back leg, like low. And I felt that was an awful night of sleep. Didn't, didn't sleep at all. Found him in the morning and he had, he jumped up and took off. Um, my arrow was out of him and I had him chasing does a week later on camera. So Mm. nothing vital on him. But then another spot that I was in um, that I really like, and and this is to kind of your point, I I found it, I I 100% found this second spot, um, postseason scouting was out there like, man, how, what is this piece like? And where are these deer going? And how does all this lay out? And I found like a funnel, a really nice pinch where it kind of comes from a piece of private that that separates from the public via um there's an actual term for it and i can't think of it but i'm just going to call it a ditch like it's almost like a waterway that they dig out because the because the land is so marshy okay um and that separates the public from the private and then you got a strip of woods that's about 40 yards wide and then you got more kind of grassy swamp land that's pretty open. So these deer run that 40 yard strip between these two big bedding areas. And I found both the bedding areas, postseason scouting, just looked at the thickest shit and was like, man, I never want to go in there. Let's go in, you know, and you just go in and all of a sudden there's beds all over the place in there. And you're like, all right, so I know the deer bed here. And then I literally just got on their tracks, followed them through this funnel to the next bedding area where I found a bunch of beds. And then like 60, 70 yards past that, there's an egg field. So I'm like, okay, this is like the setup. This is kind of how they use this. So I set up. So knowing it was a pinch point or a funnel, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to probably sit this, you know, early November, late October and see what the heck shows up. And, um, and both, I had one buck with two drop tines come through 
and he was a younger he was a younger deer um bedded bedded at 45 yards and he was i was sitting there and i remember it like it was yesterday because i got in the tree and i was like dude this is a prime spot i got a great wind great entry and exit it's 10 a.m i got you know eight hours to sit here something's coming through like three hours into the sit i texted my buddy i was like dude i'm in this prime spot and i haven't seen a deer what the hell you know and as i send the text i look up and here comes this buck he i see him at like 60 yards and i'm in I'm in this like kind of pinch point, this 40 yard wide pinch point. I can see out to 60 yards. He comes through and I'm slightly out of it. And he beds down almost straight in front of me on the backside of a tree, 15 more steps. And I got a shot. Oh. He beds down right there. And he was there for an hour and a half. And then, and then I'm sitting there just watching him and I'm like, what the hell? And I had a, at the time I had a, a 5d, uh, Mark three with a, a 70 to 200 on it. And oh. I had that thing cranked up and I was just snapping photos and whatnot of it. And, and, you know, you can magnify in the viewfinder and I'm just looking and I'm like, Oh my God, he's got two, like three inch drop tines. And I was just kind of you know, <laughs> shit in my pants, you know, and he's bedded up. Um, he, so, and the story goes, um, a spike comes burning through and I'm like, you know, and he comes running through and the buck just kind of looks at him, you know, like, what are you doing? Spike comes back with a doe five minutes later. And then, so then he's like, oh, what's going on here? So then he, he, he stands up, the spike comes back with the doe and he just watches both of them. And then they come back through again. And that second time he just kind of looked at that spike was like, yeah, a few dude, I'm taking this one. And off he went just burning rubber after this doe. And that was the last I saw of him. Oh man. Just like, oh my man. God, you know, the bop, bop, bop. He didn't yep. care. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. At the same time, you know, postseason scouting led me to find that spot. And and based on the fact that it was a pinch point between kind of two bedding areas in my head, I was like, all right, this isn't probably like the best, you know, early season spot. It's there are no scrapes around here. Maybe it could be a mid-season or a pre-rut spot but i'm thinking this is probably going to be like a rut spot mm -hmm. probably not going to be good late season and and it isn't it's a terrible late season spot and it's based on my trail camera it's a terrible early season spot too mm -hmm. it's just one of those spots that's only good when they're really chasing out and moving around pretty good so anyway that that was like that that was a lot of the public land and that public land's close to my house. So, and now I have this private that I'm hunting and trying to manage and figure out and understand, and it's a whole new piece. So the joy and the fun of the, that chess match is there. Um, mm -hmm. It's just, uh, it's just frustrating <laughs> failing. <laughs> right. Right. That's all. I know, process, I know though. what not to do. There you go. Yep. Yep. Well, you, you just keep on building up that list of what not to do. And eventually you got, you got the couple of things that you need to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so last thing before we hop off here is, um, so you used to be, you used to play and now you're, and now your son is playing, um, playing ball. Is that Jim? If you ever watched Joe's stories or even, 
on his uh, Instagram page. Is that Jim like in a barn that you guys have? It is. Yeah, man. That I'll tell you, it's ass like it's office gym. Are you in it right now? Uh, I I'm so like we have our we have our little office space, which is we put up like a we moved out to the country a few years ago, and then I put up this. It's like a sixty by thirty steel shed that we have our studio and cubicles and everything in um and then uh just living in the country and eventually you need implements and stuff and i just had like goose trailers and boats and you know all my food plot implements just like sitting outside and and i knew i had to i knew i had to get a building up and then it was just a, honestly a blessing in disguise when you know covid hit and there were a lot of construction workers that were slow and uh, interest rates, you know, went way down. So we ended up putting up this building um, and then, and it just kind of like grew. So yeah, so we, we put up this big steel building for, for all that stuff. And then half of it, we ended up finishing. So we put in like this little half court basketball and uh, area and then our, like our weights and stuff like that. And uh, so, yeah, so hopefully the kids, man, I'll, I'll tell you what they, uh, they they work hard at like literally my my son he's gonna be um and i'm not i'm not trying to brag i actually i'll tie this into a bigger point and especially for us <laughs> hunters but um so he's gonna turn 12 here in on valentine's day and last year at his birthday he was like i really want to work hard at basketball so we put together some workouts and it, i mean it's just stuff that i'm passionate about and from last valentine's day until this one not counting Saturdays and Sundays, he's missed like seven workouts. And I mean, religiously every single day, 545, I get up and lift in the mornings um, and 545, the door to the gym opens and he walks in and he works out hard for an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Like the kid just works so hard at it. And uh, anyway, and whether it's hunting, whether it's, you know, you with the podcast, like that consistency over time, that work ethic, man, you put in that much time in shooting your bow or, or strategizing on your farm and it's going to lead to, you know, lead to big, big things. So, so we, we kind of, we finished out this gym because he showed the hunger for it. And I've got a, a 10 year old who he's there every single morning as well too. Um, but it's, it's just, you know, we put it up. It's a great spot for the family and, and kind of what we're interested in. And we homeschool the kids we hunt here. I work here. So like our life kind of just revolves around, you know, right here on these 240 acres. So, yeah. uh, it, yeah. So, but yeah, it's, I, I need to do like a walk around. Cause every time I show a video, it's like people for, it's like, they care more about that stuff than, than the big deer. Like, wait a minute, what <laughs> can you show me that again? I'm like, Oh yeah, I, I'll send a private message to you of what we got going on here. But uh, it's fun. And we're thinking, I'm kind of part of the reason I put it up too, is because kind of been flirting for a while about doing like a film school. Um, yeah. And so it'd be, it'd be a place to do that. So maybe depending on how uh, just kind of what things look like this summer, we may, may do a film school and have, you know, 12, 15 guys here or something. And, and uh, yeah. may, may tie that into the management side of things too. Cause obviously we can go out and look at the property and, and do some, you know, kind of from an educational standpoint sure. on what we're doing to, to build this place out. So those, yeah, I, I personally really enjoy the film schools. I've done two of them. Okay. Um, and they're, they're fun because so much of filming and creating videos is 
your creativity is how creative you you personally can be mm-hmm. but that's that's not some people have an inherent gift for it but it can be developed to a certain extent and being around other creative people can really give you like the juices and the motivation and the ideas like i like what yeah. you're saying joe but I want to throw this tweak on it or this spin on it. And I think that's going to make it even better. And then all of a sudden you have your own style for how you like to do things. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know, so yeah. And then tying, tying in that scouting or not the scouting, but the land management and and how you set up and, and talking through that whole process. I think that's a huge value add. And that was one thing that I really wanted out of when I went to the Heartland bow hunter film school, Mm -hmm. um, it was great to do the whole filming thing and all that, but it was, uh, it would have been cool as well to like tie it in with something, something else like gotcha. land management or, or something. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, yeah, man, if we, I'll, I'll kind of keep uh, digging down that rabbit hole. If we do something else, you'll be one of the first to know. How it's <laughs> yeah. It'd certainly pop over. Um, I actually, yeah, once we hop off, I'll tell you exactly where my where our property is because it's not too far from you, actually. Oh, okay. All right. So, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, anything you want to leave any listeners with? Oh, I I have another one other question. Sorry, sorry. I said the basketball thing was the last one. Um, how's the how's the V three? I got the old Vixer, but you have been shooting that V three for yeah what, five months now or something. Yeah. Yep. I got that it back in like july um love it i really do i mean i mean the the vxr is it they're they're the last just being completely honest and transparent i've loved every bow since the no camp that matthews has came out with um so they've they've all shot good but man i do i do love the v3 like i just right out of the box i just shot it great um and yeah, I think I think it's the best bow that they've made, hands down. I say it every year, but it's <laughs> it's a shooter. I wish I was just a, a hair shorter draw length because I'd love to shoot the the shorter axle to axle one. I'd love to try that. I just uh, I love short axle to axle bows um, for a handful of different reasons, and and uh, just the way that they designed it this year, it shoots so much like a longer to axle to axle bow that I think you could get away um, shooting that shorter one and still have. Uh, the forgiveness of a longer ata bow so yeah uh, but yeah i mean you can't go wrong with what you have but uh, but uh the v3 is a it's a shooter man it is <laughs> yeah no man i uh i've played around with bows for a while and i'm not uh i'm not a huge tuning guy like mm-hmm. I, I like to mess around with it but it seems like I mess around with it for like a month and then I don't do it again for like 10 months. And then I got to relearn and refigure out what the hell was going wrong and all that stuff. So I was, when I bought my VXR, I was like, this is the bow for the next at least three years. I'm not even going to consider anything else. I'm just going to be able to pick up this thing and throw darts at 30 yards whenever I feel like it or out to 40 yards. And I'm going to be happy with it you yep. know, and I'm going to buy an arrow set up, you know, so I got a good arrow set up that I like. Um, I'm just kind of leaving it alone. So I am not, I enjoy like, it'd be like if you can't drink, but you can smell the whiskey. Okay. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I enjoy talking about it, 
but I'm not going to buy it. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. And, well, uh, and for what, for exactly what you just described, like that VXR is going to do every bit of that. I mean, yeah. it's a, that's a, fen- that's a phenomenal bow. Yeah. I, I, I shot a, a nice four by four elk this year. First time for fourth, fourth time going, I finally got one. Um, thanks to a friend of mine, Luke and, uh, shot him and it, it was a little forward went through the front shoulder and through both lungs and out and out a rib on the backside. So that was a 75 pound VXR and on a 30 inch draw. Um, and then an iron will and a black Eagle. Okay. So just pounded. Yeah. Yeah. And I was that like sold me like instantly, you know, is a, it's a solid setup and I bought it for the, purpose of being able to essentially shoot a quartering towards shot on a white tail and not be super concerned sure. with that and then also being able to take it out um western hunting you know not that i'm like in it to try to shoot quartering towards shots or anything but if if that were to happen i want to have confidence that i'm going to be able to shoot that yep. um and and be able to make it through that shoulder or if i do hit some bone i can make it through that and shooting through an elk shoulder uh, i think i got it on a white tail <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah right no kidding no kidding yeah yep yeah awesome That's well awesome. hey where so can uh, in your own words where where do you want people to find you um the best place would be instagram man joe.sir is my is my instagram and uh that's like you know you talked about youtube we want to get more content up on the youtube page i've got staring at like a hundred terabytes of footage right here. That's begging to be put together. So um, there's no shortage of it. So we just got to find the time to do it. So if we do that, if we put stuff up on our YouTube page, everything's going to be kind of advertised or coming out of Instagram. So if you, if you follow me there, you'll be, you'll be in the loop to anything that we, we have going on. That's for sure. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Joe, for being on. I, I really appreciate it. And no, uh, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yeah. We'll have to do it again when we uh, get a little bit closer to food plot time and we can talk maybe a little bit more about, about that. I'd be all for yeah, it. So thanks just, for having me. Yeah, you bet. Are you planning like August or July? Uh, yeah, for my, for my brass, like our fall planting stuff, usually end of July, first week or maybe to August, just, but, but most of it's like you were saying, most of it's around rain. Okay. You know, like, I mean, I just, anytime in that three week window, if, if I know we're going to get pounded with rain, it's, it's go. It's go time. All yeah. right. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm putting, I'm putting you on the calendar right now. Right on, man. <laughs> right, on. right on. Sounds good. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Catch you later, Joe. All right.